Hello and welcome to In The Game, Qatar's first sports podcast. Today is a very special day, as I always say. It's the same old, same old. I'm going to say that our guests are always wonderful, which they are. But this is, again, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on the show again today. Um, You're a a legend, I'll tell you honestly. (laughs) Thank you, Steve. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you for having me and thank you for inviting me. I guess... It's, it's brilliant you coming on because I just love your smile. It's like you've got such a massive smile. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Tell, tell my wife. <laughs> so, Paul, what have you been up to? Not much. I've been crazily busy with homeschooling, children, trying to figure out what my plans are in Qatar and literally just trying to sort things back in the UK still. So, yeah, just crazily busy. Are you glad, you glad you came to Qatar? Oh, no, no, 100%. I, I think this place is amazing. Seriously, I genuinely do. I think for me as a person and also for the family, we have more time together because like the UK, we were just literally going in different directions all the time. And to top it off, you just never saw each other. So this place is awesome. Yeah, it's great. And we were talking the other day and we were talking about the facilities here in Qatar. It's like you... You're blown away by it all, right? Second to none. Second to none. I think sports facilities and playground. I mean, in the UK, I thought we lived in a nice area, nice park. I think the worst park in this country is better than the park that we had, that everyone used to travel into our super park. Yeah, the parks are amazing. I mean, the kids are never complaining. They're always very impressed, no matter which park we go to. So, yeah, it's amazing. This, I really like this place. And plus, we've just got through a summer in Qatar. And, and how did you find it? Was it, was it? Hot, hot, hot. And that's coming from a Ghanaian origin guy who is used to hot cut climate, right? But now, UK terms, what well, we see 23, if we're lucky, we may hit a 30. That's, that, that is like on a regular occasion. Yeah, the humidity, wow. But it hasn't been as bad as people say. And I think people have basically said that this year has been quite mild. It hasn't been as brutal as it has in previous summers. So, yes, I think we got off quite lightly. I, I think you're right. And I, but there, are, there have been days when you go outside and you hold anything that's, that's um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, tingling, the tingling on your face is... Um, the tingling on your face, the, the heaviness in the chest. Because I tend to try to run early in the morning and you just can't breathe. There's no oxygen particles to enter the body at all. And you're like, <gasps> yeah, but you know, it's, it's good, it's good. It's, it's been an experience. Okay, so you can see why I've got Paul on the show. A fantastic individual. Paul, tell us a bit about your credibility and, and what you've done in sports and all that type of stuff. I know that people may have seen you on there before, but just give yeah. an insight. Well, my background is really academy football, then got released around 18, then did sprinting, amazing training sprinter, I would call myself, literally 10 zeros, everything, my, my training was pointed 10 zeros, and mentally, I wasn't that strong when it comes to like race day, so yes, yeah, so I ended up on 10, 10 fives. But yeah, then I've literally gone into sports re- engineering research, then sports research, and coaching a whole range of people from football, tennis, athletics, volleyball, basketball. Yeah, so yeah, so it's, it's been it's quite a varied kind of background. But sports is literally the crucial part with along with my research. And and you've just brought the subject about about the research. You're a P, you've got your PhD. What's that? What's that all about? Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. What is that all about? Again, actually, I blame that on the missus. <laughs> I blame that on the missus, Steve. So we both did our undergraduate in Loughborough University, and she decided to go and do medicine. And I was thinking of going back home to London. But it was, the commute was ridiculously poor. I was just like, no chance. So literally, I took the opportunity when I was offered a PhD in automotive engineering to take it up. And to top it off, I was still competing. And then when I finished, I was coaching. So yes, I took up the opportunity to actually get a PhD done, which is it's quite exciting. Yeah, and, and, and please, and I'm sorry to share this, but, but you told me a story about what your friends used to say to you while you were, come on, share it with us, with, with it, um, when they said, you've got the PhD, you're the only... <laughs> yeah. 
yeah quality yeah that was a belter and a half yeah so literally during the phd phase you got paid so poorly and i think you you have to do it with an ulterior motive that you enjoy research or there is and there is an ulterior motive which for me was i see my what my well then my girlfriend even not even fiance was girlfriend at that time i get to see her yeah, so basically I was broke and I was working in the high performance gym, literally. And as part of working in the gym, you have to clean the equipment, right? And one, yeah, one morning, one guy came up and it actually it so happens to be on the same day I had my Viva and got given a PhD. So in the afternoon, I rocked up back to the gym to work and he came in watching me clean and he said, he looked at me and he goes, Paul, you must be the most qualified gym instructor in the whole world. With the, you just got your PhD in your cleaning gym equipment, yeah. So that was a belter. <laughs> that just tells me, that just tells us so much about you. You're a, you are, and I, I, I know that I use these big words with you, but you're, you are a legend. And it, again, we were gonna talk about another subject, which we're gonna talk about in a bit, but um, I, I, I did, the last time you came on the show, I didn't get to talk about all your accolades that you've, you've from a sporting perspective and what you're yeah. involved with. And I, I did really miss out on those because I, I, your CV is just, is just incredible. Can you share some of those things that you've done? Yeah, well, so from a sporting point of view, I think obviously when I moved away from my actual self in terms of training competitions moved more into the coaching side of it i've been privileged to basically watch some really high performance coaches and along the way you pick up bits and bobs from every single person and it's helped me along my journey like in terms of like being able to apply that to coach different athletes and different sportsmen and women and of course also actually when i finished my phd i crossed over to looking at sports engineering so my background initially was looking at aerodynamics internally on an engine. I crossed over and you use a bit of my knowledge more on the sports side of things. So applying some of my knowledge, looking at some of the studies we did was actually doing, we did a surface study for FIFA, which was looking at artificial pitches and grass pitches, trying to basically scientifically quantify what are the issues and also trying to figure out mentally what the issues are for players not wanting to play on it. And then we moved on to, what did we do? Football, actually, yeah. So the one of the best balls actually from the Adidas point of view is so the highest grossing ball. It got a lot of bad publicity and this was the Jabalani football right. during the, what's it, 2010 World Cup, South African World Cup. The ball basically was a beautifully shaped sphere and it, it behaved incredibly well in a wind tunnel, but when it was played outside because of the aerodynamics kind of forces, so either thin air or in South Africa, or there was no oxygen particles holding the ball in flight, so the ball started to misbehave. So we were called in by FIFA to actually try to figure out if they need to take any additional steps to actually, because they've got this quality concept FIFA have for their footballs, for their surfaces, and normally the quality concept looks at water absorption of footballs, when you drop the ball, how high it goes up, what's the name, how much you could compress the ball. So there's about seven different tests that they basically stress the ball through. So they were trying to figure out, do we need to take out, take into account aerodynamic properties? So they called us in to do another worldwide study. Then we moved on to futsal surfaces. The players wanted to basically design a surface that has a beautiful kind of, when they hit the ball, they try to get like a spin on it so that they're really good players. So it spins the ball into the path of the oncoming place. I mean, it's a, it's a real skill to generate this kind of spin, but some rubbery surfaces, you can't actually generate the spin. So as it's spinning, it gets caught up and then it starts to bubble on the surface. So yeah, then I did a range of studies actually looking at garments and instantaneous feedback for play, for same sportsmen and women and conventional runners on the street. So, yeah, so it's, it's been quite exciting. It's been quite exciting. I've been quite privileged to travel the world. And, and yeah, it must have been really hard. This foot sale, what's that? It's like, I, I, I don't know enough about it. I know that I'm talking with, um, there's a guy called um, uh, Peter Sharple uh, from the UK. He's in charge yeah. of the UK foot sale. What is yes. that all about? What is, I, I don't, I, I only just heard about it. Well, okay, Steve, I like, okay, let me put it as 
you know all about it actually. It's a bit like your what's the name street soccer concept. Right. So it's a it's a confined space where basically the ball is it's got fifty percent bounce in comparison to what's it called conventional footballs, and the ball cannot go head height in actual matches. Right. So the ball you drop the ball down and literally because it's actually it's filled with cotton buds it's that kind of material inside of it to really reduce the bounds yeah. and the whole idea is to keep the ball on the floor and it's very popular in Brazil and I think Barcelona took it to the next level and all that group of Barcelona players that you have now that are amazing they actually all originate from futsal kind of background so when you see Barcelona historically they used to say Barcelona players are playing futsal on an 11 side pitch because the way that they, they push the ball, the way that they manipulate the ball, the way they move around, the way they flick the ball. And that's the whole idea of futsal. So it's designed to be quite confined space and it's heavily skill-based, heavily movement-based. So yeah, so it's where I think the UK even actually tried to move towards trying to bring that through to actually improve the skill level of players. That's, and, that, yeah, because I'm, I'm talking to, I, I was talking to, now, I've got to be really careful because I don't like it being called Sporting Lisbon anymore. It's Sporting, okay. it's sporting Portugal, I think it is. Portugal, yeah, that's it, yes. Yeah, and I didn't realise, but they're European champions in futsal. Yes, yeah, so they, they are very good. I mean, the best teams are Portugal, Port the Portuguese, European-wise, Portuguese and Barcelona. There's a team, in Barcelona, there's a team called Movistas. I spent quite a lot of time with those guys, and they used to have one of the best players in the world, Rocadinho. He's a Portuguese guy. Amazing. I mean, you should check this guy out on YouTube, some of the skills. And then there's a guy called Falcao as well from Brazil. He's amazing. But yeah, so that's where literally all these guys are heavily skilled. And I think the Portuguese and the Brazilians, and when you look at the Spanish players, the type of football is very, very similar very similar and do you think it has an advantage within the the, the, the 11 aside i think it does and I thought, if i'm correct when we were interviewing the guys from movista what they actually the guy that took me around he was a futsal champion with a spat he they were european champions as well he was the goalkeeping coach i mean the goalkeeper and what he said is actually in barcelona in the academy they don't separate the players so they're futsal players and the 11 aside players they don't actually separate them. They keep them until I think the ages of 9, 11, and sometimes they separate them. So that's why you get those guys who are very, very small. Like historically in the UK, we go for the guys who are massive, tall. If you're not tall, you're no good enough. That is changed. But in Barcelona, they don't go by that. They went by the more the skill level. So if you look at Iniesta, you look at the Messi's of this world, tiny player, David Silva, but they all came from literally futsal background. So those guys, when you see them, and I, until this guy said to me about how these guys manipulate the ball, and then I start to focus more, you actually start to see that actually a lot of the futsal tricks that they do, Barcelona were using it. Because all, yeah, yeah it's, it's, amazing. it's amazing when you really home in and you see how, because normally conventional football, you don't ever push the ball with, the, with your foot. But the Barcelona guys always open and push the ball, and the ball just travels flat along the the ground, but it's actually a quick way of getting the ball to penetrate and move very quickly. I'm I, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring Peter Sharples on, the, on one of the podcasts, and he's um, he's trying to bring it in on a, a national level. He's trying to set up a, 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 um, a futsal complex in, in Liverpool by Amsterdam. Okay, okay wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. And it's like, what I'll do, Paul, uh, Paul, yeah, what I'll do, Paul, is what we'll do is, is come on the show with us and then we'll ask him more questions about what... Yeah. No, no, definitely. The, what's it called? Actually, when, oh, actually, so funny. I travelled to Japan for... Because Jap Japanese, this guy, Rokadina, that I was talking about, actually, he was one of the greatest exports into Japan. He was there for two years when they got their league going. And when I went, the Japanese Futsal Federation, the top guy, took me around. And I was discussing football with him and futsal. And I was like, oh, yeah, the UK have a good system up and running. And he goes, yep, he came to the UK. They took him on a tour and they spoke about how amazing it was. And he sat there watching one of the elite matches. He said he had to stop himself from laughing. He goes, the quality was so poor. 
<laughs> he said the quality was so poor. So I think the UK is a bit behind because I try to, but the players playing it are technically living aside players. Yeah. So they haven't been grown up in the system of how futsal really should be played. So I think it will be a good thing for them to set it up in the U in at Liverpool. It's, it's kind of it's the, one of the things that because I I find it fascinating because as you said I I do like the street soccer that we do and it's yeah. similar, but not to the same extent and I didn't realize with futsal um, I didn't realize just how much of an influence it has and how people get better. more and more people are getting involved in it and, and because of mm-hmm. the way that things are back in the UK by all mm-hmm. accounts the services the it's going to be more more better that if we do get a lot more rain or this uh, we can't play on pitches then these are going to yeah. be ideal to play on yep 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 exactly and i mean with, with the fact that futsal is played indoors as well it pretty much means that the surface is consistent all year round right and you could hone that real fine control skill so yeah yeah i think yeah spot on yeah well please and i know that you're going to come on to some of the shows with me in the future, so that's going to be really, yeah. really good. So I'll, I'll be up, I'll be up for it, Steve. I'll be yeah. up for it. Yeah, because he's a he's a very interesting guy, and 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 we'll find it as much as the information that we can about it because I I'm intrigued, yeah. especially with the street soccer. So it's kind of okay. So we're on the podcast. This is our first one together. We're gonna everybody. We're gonna be doing a, a few more. Um, there's some exciting stuff that we're gonna be doing, right? Yeah, looking. I mean, I'm looking for it. I don't know if you want to break the news or. Yeah. Just keep them in suspense, but yeah. It's going to be quite exciting. It's going to be quite exciting. And it's, it's good because you've got, from your position and the way that you've, you've, um, you've been working with that, um, athletes, and especially you brought one of, the, um, one of your friends, you got him to come on the show with me, with Radzi. Radzi. Yeah. Oh, that was brilliant. <laughs> super Radzi, super Radzi. Yeah, literally, Radzi's gone from, was it a long jump, then crossed over to Bob, Bob Skeleton of all things. But it was during the time that the UK were literally trying to take, I think there was a program set up for, let's say, footballers that were in exit games. They were being convinced to do things like Bob's, Bob Slay, Bob Skeleton. Then you had a lot of the Bob Slay team stealing a lot of the athletes. And it's still going on, actually, because the best pushers in Bob Slay tend to be sprinters. Yeah, so, and you had a, you had Team Sky at that time. In was saying Ilias now, but they were poaching people left, right, centre. People that were on the cusp of being good as athletes, but then when they basically profiled them, they're like, "Wow, you'd be amazing on a bike. Come over, come over. We'll teach you the basics. You've got everything else." So yeah, so it was around that time that Radzi decided, "All right, I'm going to go and try Bob Skeleton because he felt like the people doing it were not very well conditioned." And I said, "Okay, let's do it." Let, let's do it. So I did all the strength and conditioning based and fitness based stuff. And Radzi just traveled around the world, basically trying to find all the top guys in Canada, in Europe, the Germans. And he would just constantly harass them to teach him how to get on the ice and do sledging. <laughs> yeah. And when you think about it, what, what you're going to do, how much speed do they pick on those little? Because we were joking about on it. On a T, yeah, on a T tray. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, you're that much off the off the ice, and you're steering with your shoulders and pressing in with your hips. I think they they are topping they are topping some mileage. I think after I vaguely remember, you're looking at way over eighty miles per hour. Yeah. Yeah, I think sixty eighties. The guys are shifting, especially once you once you push. The momentum just basically takes you, and then they just be thrown around G forces from all directions. But he's such an and I said to him, I remember saying to him, "How do you push yourself? How do how, what is it going to drive?" He said, "You just gotta get into the fear." And you, yeah, you do, you do. And I think, well, I like to think of it this way. I think there's a few screws a bit. Lo- lo- loose in the head because there's no way you're getting me down one of those because like some of the some runs he used to wear a GoPro on his on his on his helmet and I'll just look at the transitions and literally one minute you're floating that way then you're snapping back in this direction then you're flat then you're going up and then snap again there's no chance and when you hear was it Radzi had a couple of I wasn't when he first started yeah, that's when you know that the whole the whole thing is shut down. Someone has had a major crush. Go and deal with it. Yeah, no, you have to have a couple of screws a bit. 
missing. You and and you said to me, um, you said about and is is Kit Radsey got into the top ten, right? For Bob's yeah, he got into top ten. Uh, yeah, actually, and I think Radsey would have progressed a lot because actually he it was very political. Hence the re- he was he was very political. And so basically, I did all of his strength fitnessy based stuff, and he had to travel the world because. The system actually was being paid by, I think, the FA or some footballing was them to actually support fo- footballers that are coming out of football clubs to try to find them something. So Radzi didn't quite fit in into that, but he still managed to go around the world basically begging people to teach him. And off the back of that very limited time on this sledge, he managed to get himself into, I think it was top eight, and he was doing incredibly well until, I think, what was it? Something went on wrong with his sledge. So I think he would have done incredibly well. But it's funny because he went back with Blue Peter when he, when he became the presenter. And Blue Peter had him going down one of these places. I think it was in Europe somewhere. And the British coach after that turned around to him and said, "Why, if you're still interested, I'm impressed that you haven't been on it for four or five years. And you're, if you're, the time that he clocked, the guy said to him, if you're still interested, I'll have you. <laughs> so, yeah, so he, he had a good talent for it. And, and I loved, I, I really did enjoy having him on the show because he was, he was just, he, he was exceptional. And, and when you told me, and, and he told me that, that it was his burning ambition, that was all he yeah. wanted to be was, he wanted to be a Blue Peter presenter, right? Yeah, yeah from a very early age. And it's crazy. I think, I think Radzi, from a very early age, because his teachers used to laugh at him. It's, yeah, I remember, I, I remember, because when I met him, I saw this guy who was really nice and polite. This is during my PhD phase, and I was actually living as a subwarden for free. So I live for free, but I have to look after 400 odd students every year. So in the middle of the night, you get a knock on your door, someone who's basically a bit wasted. You have to go and get them into their room, or someone is vomiting, or someone's lost their keys. And I met him around that time, and I saw this really nice guy. And when, he, when I first met him, it's the kind of thing that he spoke about. I want to be a presenter. And this is quite early on in his degree. And to actually then speak to his mum, and the mum was telling me that, yeah, it's been his lifelong ambition to literally be a Blue Peter presenter. And teachers used to laugh at him from when he was very young. And true to form, what, he was number 37 or something like that, Blue Peter presenter, which is crazy. Okay. Yeah. When you look back, it's, it's an institution to us, uh, Blue Peter. Uh, a hundred percent, yeah, for anyone grown up in the UK. I mean, it's the longest running children's program worldwide. Because we're definitely celebrated the 50th, 50th anniversary or something like that recently. And he's just gone, he's, he's just, he, he's such a nice guy. That's the, well, he's like you. You come from the same type of, you know, they say that you came from the same type of cloth. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just people like, and, and we're going on to something now. So it's, it's all about caring, right? I, I was yes. talking to you the other day, and this was something else that, that I'm bringing up now, um, is when, when I was saying to you, what are, are you going to go into sports as a living? So that, are you going to go and make money at this, or are you going to get a job? Mm. Like, and you looked up and said, Steve, I want to do this. What did you say to me? Uh, for me, it's, it's the passion. It's the, it's the passion and actually seeing people improve. And I just can't do it for them. I don't do most things for money. And I think that's because I, I was privileged enough to coach, coach by some really good coaches historically, because that's the kind of thing you did in athletics where people were giving up their Tuesday evenings, Thursday evenings, and then weekends as a Saturday. And then as you became, as you got older and you became good, it became a situation where the coach was throwing in so many hours for lit, no game, because you never know which athletes are going to actually accelerate and which ones are not. Like if you look at the Qatar, in Qatar wise, if you look at Bashim, the high jumper, yeah. I was reading a little bit about him where he, because my whole background actually has been my best friends who are all high jumpers. And I was reading something about him that when he was at the Aspire Centre, he was a 215 jumper. And he left and met up with this coach. This well, it's a Polish culture. They've been based here. But this Polish coach actually has roots in Sweden, where my wife is from. He's the coach, another guy, form blood. He used to be a really high, good high jumper until he got injured. So I don't know how this coach found himself here. But Bashim basically attributes all his success to this dude because he met this guy where he felt like he left and there was nothing to him. And then suddenly his, his what's the name, his kind of like performance instant kicked in. And that's the thing, you can never really predict it because people that I grew up with that were amazing juniors just never transitioned. 
So you give up a lot of your time coaching people that may be talented as juniors and nothing becomes of it. And later on, you never know it. Like the pack mentality, if you have a lot of people in there, some people that were literally way back in the, in, in the group start to come to the front. So it's one of those things that you do because you love and also you do to actually make an impression on the people and you try to actually make a positive influence, not just because you want them to become top sportsmen, but you're shaping their lives. Because that's what, I think that's the thing that sports gives you, that discipline to be able to heavily focus on something whilst everyone else is going out and you're at home sleeping early because you know you've got a session coming up. So yeah, so I think it's something that I heavily enjoy just seeing people improve and it, it gives you the kicks to try to figure out. And when something is not working, you take it. It's a bit like back in the days looking at me in automotive engineering, you look at the car and you say, right, how could I make this go faster? How could I make a more efficient engine? It's exactly the same thing with athletes. How could you give? How could you make someone more aligned? How could you make give someone more power? How could you take a bit of weight off somebody because they've got too much muscle and too much power? So, it's it's like one of those tinkering effects. How important? And I, 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 we've had so many people on the show, and and a lot of the time it's the co how important are the coaches? I think <laughs> personally, I think coaches are really really important because. It's great, like, it's, it's interesting because if you, if you look at the Usain Bolt effect, before Usain Bolt became good and his current coach in Jamaica, the, all the Caribbean guys used to go to the States. So it's great when you're a good coach, you become a super coach where everyone goes to you. Yeah. So you're getting the talent of the talent, but developing someone from roots, it's a bit like Dina Asher-Smith in the UK. She's, she won the, at the Doha actually last year, she won the 100 meters and got a silver in the 200. Dina's coach is a really good guy that's developed so many youngsters, but the youngsters always run away to the super coaches. And Dina's just basically stuck it out with this guy because Ian Mack is just like, it's like a father figure to her. And I think when I was reading a bit about Bashim, he said the same thing about his coach. It's like a father figure, it's not just a coach. And I think sometimes, you could have all the talent, but if someone believes in you so much and it's that relationship and you trust that person, you do what they say. And as a result of doing what they say is that having that blind faith, you, you actually, you get the rewards of your success kind of thing. And sometimes it may, it may not be that you actually succeed by being a world champion or whatever, but you still reach your goal or reach higher than what your initial potential was. So it depends on, how many people quantify success? Is it winning an Olympic medal, world medal, or actually better in your life? Like take someone like Radzi set out as a long jumper, then Bob Skeleton, and he's gone on to do amazing in the world, presenting some of the best shows, like doing sports on the beat. Yeah, so it's one of those things that actually the discipline he gained from following athletics or from following sports, because it requires massive discipline it's actually benefited this lifestyle now because sometimes he gets called like, oh, can you present this? And he has no information. He has to get, stay up the whole night and memorize and take data, data, data. And this is something you do. You go to, you go training, you vomit and you get up and you go again. And then the next day you go and hit it, even though your body's not hundred percent. It's that focus and discipline. Yeah. I, I, I remember having, you talking about, I remember having Marion Farrell on the, on the show and, and mm -hmm. said that, that it's so tough when you're you're really pushing yourself, and sometimes you yeah. at the end it's like you put, yeah, 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 yeah. you put so much kind of everything into it. It's like when we were in the forces, you've done exactly the same. Come to an end of yeah. a oh my precisely word. yeah yeah because your acid levels. I mean, you push yourself so much that your acid levels are tipped upside down, and it, the only way is it just comes out. And actually, it's a great feeling. And when it comes out, you actually you you feel horrible with all the lactic acid in your glutes, in your hamstrings, your quads. And as soon as actually you do vomit, it's almost like your body comes back to you, and you continue doing your session. Really, it's, it's I, crazy. Yeah, I didn't. I never knew that. That was a good good bit of information. You see, you you um. Let's go back to the high jumpers. It's like, how do they, it's like, I remember it, it, there was two types of jumpers. Fos, what was it, Fosbury Flop? Fosbury Flop, yes. And, and scissors. Sizz, and the scissors, yeah. <laughs> the scissors, yeah, interesting concept, yeah. Jump, jump up off the ground on your legs, land on your legs, scissor the, scissor the bar, land on your legs again. Yeah. And then yeah, you, you've got the Frosby flop, which uh, my old coach, Dalton, was amazing. Literally, the guy used to wiggle, 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 wiggle himself around the bar. 
So as he's jumping, he almost shake, keeps on shaking, shaking, shaking his body over the bar and then flops over. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's yeah, crazy. It is crazy, and it's it's kind of um. But you just mentioned Dalton Grant. It's like he was in my time. Well, I say he was in my time. He's the probably the the biggest high jumper that I can remember in my my youth. Yeah. Um, and he was so close to making some really big things happen. Well, he done some really fantastic things. Yeah, he was a crazy. He's a crazy guy, and I think he he won't mind me saying that. Dawson is crazy, and he's a proper competitor. Da I think up to now, Dawson has the highest entry, world record entry, where he one one of the competitions he sat it out until two thirty two, and then he came in and blazed straight over it. No previous jumps, no nothing. He's like, right, I'm, I'm injured. I don't have much jumps in me. I'm gonna show these guys. It's a mental game as well. And he played a lot of mental games. But Dalton, again, he grew up in a really deprived area. So the streets had basically taught him the hard way of life. It's, and, yeah. It's incredible. I'm sorry to cut in there. Oh, no, no. Um, it was, it's incredible that, that it's like, I, I remember we had um, uh, Gerald, Gerald Lamy. And, again, okay. there's a lot of people that come from the East End, right? And yeah, they, yeah. Is that because it was so – because I know that you had – um, an upbringing in, in London. Was it oh, yes. Hard? Was it hard? Oh, it br brutal. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, I lived on a council estate where it was so bad. Prince Charles came looking around. It was Cattle Hall Estate. Prince Charles came around and literally said that how on earth are people living in these? And true to form, not long after he came, there was commission that the, the high-rise blocks of flats had to go. And they demolished it all and built us, even though it's still congested, but they built us all like small time town, townhouses. Yeah, it was brutal. It's brutal. I mean, schooling wasn't... It, the, the teachers did the best that they could, but schooling wasn't great in terms of some of the schools that we went to. And most of us were looking to sports to pretty much try to make a step in the world. Yeah. And do you think that that's why a lot of people are, because I'm, I'm trying to think, it wasn't. Well, David Beckham is from that area. Harry Kane is from Leighton Stone. You've got Dalton Grant from the Hackneys. You've got jo Jonathan Ross. He's, he's a late, he's a Leighton guy, he's a Leighton Stone guy as well. Yeah. So I think you, you've got Leighton and but now you've got South London as well. You had the likes of the Brixton. Because some of the top sprinters that we've had in the UK, they all grew up in the South London area as well. And some of the young footballers that were in West Ham produced some of the best footballers in the, that's the academy that I was in. And then you had, was it, you've got all of the guys, yeah, West London, again, not great areas, Stoke Newington and all them kind of places, yeah. So it's, it's, the, it's the school of hard knocks, right? Yeah, yeah. And go, you just said about the sprinters. Um, mm. I, I remember um, oh, Linford Christie. Oh, Linford, yes. Linford. Yeah, Lim yeah, so Linford, I, I mean, I used to meet Linford a few times because Linford and Dalton are very good friends and Dalton was my coach. But again, Linford was just pure. I mean, he was pure muscle and dedication to the task. And that's the key. Linford was so focused and dedicated. And I know Dave Brailsford now talks about marginal gains, but that, we didn't have a name for it back then. But that's what those guys were doing every year, like looking for those incremental gains every single, every single year. But now we've got a name for it, marginal gains. Right. But yeah, yeah those guys were on it. And they used to, and that's the beauty of that generation. Like it, I remember it was Dalton, Linford, Colin Jackson, Mary Otty from the Caribbean. So used yes. to come across and yes, yes, Yeah, yes. that that training group was full of everyone and they almost problem solved. So when somebody was struggling in something, there was somebody to always say, oh, when I felt like this, I did this. Or when my, when my performance wasn't doing well, I felt like doing this and I did this and it worked. So they, give, they were working off each other. You don't get that no more this day and age. But those guys, yeah, yeah, they were amazing. They used to all work together. They used to do the sprint starts together. They used to do the power work together. And they, they pushed each other on. Colin Jackson, he was just, uh, oh God, it was like, oh, here's our gold coming. And it was, yeah, guaranteed. Oh. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're here. You could guarantee Sally Gunnell. You had the Linford when it's a European based competition. No, not Linford, I mean, Dalton. Linford, you're guaranteed. Yeah, you, you had your core kind of people. Colin Jackson was always there, but he was another one. Colin Jackson, some of the stuff I've heard from Dalton. That guy, 
literally, you know, most men were meant to live of what, two, 1,800 or so calories. Some men top 2,005s. Yes, Colin Jackson was on 1,000, was it 300 and sometimes 1,000 calories. So he was very cautious with what he ate. And then on race days, he would have two massive jumbo kind of masks, you know, like those kind of they chocolate bars that you broke, he would eat that just to give him that energy boost. But yeah, he was really, really disciplined, that guy. Oh, and now you, you saw the results on the track, right? Yeah, because you looked at it and you, you just, oh, it was just, he brought hurdles into, in, yeah. it was just everybody wanted to do the hurdles. But yeah. if you ever tried jumping over those hurdles and running at the speed he runs, oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how they do the stride. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how those guys do it. I've tried. I do some basic hurdle stuff when I'm doing a bit of training, and it's just ridiculously high. How you get your body so beautifully over, and then Colin Jackson topped it off by having that super super dip for the line. Yeah, he was amazing in winning competitions with it with with just this smallest margin because he leaned perfectly well. He was so low and so streamlined. Yeah, those 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 were the days. Yeah. Do you remember the likes of because again I'm fifty I'm fifty four next month, but do you remember the likes of Sebastian Coe and Yeah Coe yeah, and yeah, yeah. I mean I, I, I remember them on TV and then when I went up to Loughborough I used to literally hear a lot from George Gandhi, who's one of the greatest distance coaches up in Loughborough. And that's how my missus actually came. So my wife he met my wife in in, what was it? It was in one of the Portuguese places, warm weather training, and convinced her to leave Sweden and come to the UK so he could coach her. And that's how, but yeah, Sebastian Carr apparently was a, he was based in Loughborough, but he was amazing in terms of like his sessions and the intensity of his sessions. Yeah. Was it some, I think his PB for the 200 was something like 24 7. And he will rep out literally at 25 200s. So his speed is 24 7. He would do 25 200s with jog on 30 seconds recovery and run them all in 25 seconds. So 0.25 away from his PB is just ridiculous. 0.0. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Him in, because yeah. it was always him and um, Steve Ovid. Is that? Yeah. Steve Ovid. They were always fighting for the 800 meters to the 1500, right? Yes, 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 exactly. And I think you need, you need that, I think, internally to push people on, don't you? It's like you, it's the Messi-Ronaldo effects. Those guys are old, old men, but they're still pushing each other on because they want to win the Ballon d'Or every year. So they keep on pushing each other on to greatness. And I think that's what you had with Steve Aubert and Sebastian Coe. So you've, you've mixed with quite a lot of famous people, athletes, Mm, I, I don't know about famous side. I, I think it's just fortunately being in a being in the environment and being. I think being in Loughborough and obviously before Loughborough, I met Dalton back on the same track where we used to train in Wolfham Forest. So yeah, so it's just meeting these different people and then you go along. So I'm not too sure about the fame side of it because they're whilst they've gone on to succeed, they're, they're famous, but the problem is you're only relevant unless you become a Messi and Ronaldo or David Beckham. You're just relevant for your little kind of time slot. So yeah, they've got a name when you search them up on YouTube. When you search them up on YouTube or you search them on Wikipedia, yeah, they surface. Yeah, but no, it's been, it's been good. It's, I love your stories. And I'm going to go into another subject now. How do you, what do you think about um, women's football now? I'm a fan because I, I, I'm massively a fan because I remember vividly very well because I used to help out with the England, England youth team. It was the under-16s. They were based in Loughborough, under-16s, under-18s. And I used to basically see them train. And then I used to get called call, call in to help out on some of the track sessions. But we, at the same time, I was actually coaching the Loughborough fours and then I coached the Loughborough twos and I was assisting with the Loughborough ones in terms of the strength and conditioning and fitness. And our twos used to play the women youth team in training matches and they used to destroy our guys because they're not physically gifted in terms of like men and their skill level is ridiculous. 
Yeah, yeah, at their skill level, because the, the, the men's game is very fast. And back in the days, so I got to, I got released because they told me I was too fast and I didn't have much skill. Whereas now, they actually want athletes. <laughs> they only need about two two people who are fantastic footballers. The rest of them are just runners. They, they're just bombing up and down. You have to just be able to be in the right place or whatever. But the women have to have skill to move the ball around. And I was very, very impressed. Totally, totally impressed with how their skill level, their brains, the way they deliver the ball into spaces. Some people think that the game is slow. But at the same time, technically, actually, it's a quite a good game to watch. You see the chess game taking place. It was so, we were so close to getting into the World Cup final with the ladies, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. And Phil Neville was a bit unlucky. Oh, and when we brought the students over, the, the claim to fame for us was um, we brought some students over from UCFB um, in, yeah. in Wembley, Wembley Stadium. And we, yeah. went to, we were invited to, um, we got shown around Khalifa Stadium, right? And oh, wow. Yeah. I've got 25 students from Wembley Stadium, UCFB. <laughs> it was a great yeah. moment. We were walking around the running track. And then all of a sudden, we went in for, um, we, we had um, uh, the guy, the manager, Fabian, Fabian, um, he used to, well, he still is. He's the manager of um, PSG here in Qatar in the MENA oh. region. So he done a yeah, yeah. job yeah. for us. We come out after it and we've got the whole of the, um, the ladies England team and they were practicing in Khalifa Stadium. And yeah. oh my God, there's, there's um, uh, Gary Neville. <laughs> and it's like, and it was, it was oh, fantastic. Um, and all of a sudden I, I did, I thought you're only going to be here once. And I know he was trained, <laughs> but I said, I said, please, is there any chance these guys are over from the UK? Do you think you could have a picture done? And we had his picture. He came and joined us. He joined the whole group. Yeah, which was I've seen some of the, yeah, I've seen some of the clips. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen. So what were they doing here then? The, the, which the ladies or the, the, were they warm weather training or using as an opportunity to get some heat in their body or? Yeah, exactly that. Okay. But you, 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 with that, that successful team, that I, I think they would have, they were so unlucky against the Americans. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And it could have gone either way. And I think we were, yeah, we were. Oh, I think they've done very well because if you look at the American game, the American actually, they were one of the originators in terms of women's game, in terms of pumping the quite a lot of money in. So they've, they've had a system that have been developing women football for quite a long time. So I think for our girls to basically go up, because we've started to only now turn the girls professional, we've set up the leagues and everything else. I think they did incredibly well. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I do like, as, as you said, I do like it. And you helped, um, wasn't there some of the, you've helped train some of the... the, the yeah, yeah, so the girls, a number of the girls that were in the, because the youth system used to be based in Loughborough, where it was around the time that, oh, what's, what's the lady's name? Ah, uh, something Powell, Hope Powell was the one who was in charge of the female team. So she used to travel backwards and forward actually between Wembley and Loughborough because their youth team was based there. So yeah, so a lot of the girls that are actually in the current squad, I think three or four of them are still knocking around in the squad. They were all from that cohort of girls that I was basically helping out from time to time. Yeah. And, and, and okay, so... We've mentioned Loughborough quite a few times now. How good is Loughborough? Because I know we both know Dr. Mafu. Yes. Yeah, so he's, an, he's, a, he's a great Loughborough export. Yeah. Loughborough is an interesting place. I mean, it's weird because prior to going there, I chose to go there because it was good for sports and it was good for engineering. Around the time that I went, it was number one for engineering for what I wanted to do. And it was also... Loughborough hasn't been beaten in sports, and I think they still haven't been beaten in sports for the last 30-odd years. They win the Bucks, which is the British University Championships. They win it all every year. So that is when you tally up the points for rugby, football, tennis, basketball, athletics, everything, water, polo, all the kind of sports that they compete against between universities. When you tally up all the points, literally in Loughborough, no one comes close to Loughborough. Yeah, it's like at the hub. I mean, the closest people normally used to be places like Bath and Brunel started stepping up, but we just had the numbers. Because Loughborough is like one massive campus and everywhere else is split into so many different parts. And we had, the training facilities were amazing. So yeah, yeah so I think it's, 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 it's a good place. Yeah. 
and also academically it's a good university I, it, it, I've, I've seen people that's and I've spoken with people now that's that's come from there and, and, and it mm. sounds exceptional and they, they've create, created and helped some really successful Massive. people along the way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Literally, literally a lot of the people like even when rugby is quite a big one we've had a number of the guys have gone to the world cup in like rugby sevens a few of the guys have gone on to the england rugby fall for 15 sides you've got athlete all the top athletes used to pass through and i think even up to now now i think national center for athletics is actually in loughborough so a lot of people tend to move to loughborough now as well so yeah it's produced quite a lot. It could produce quite a lot of successful sportsmen and women. Yeah. And, and okay, so with all your experience, with all your, your kind of, um, with what you've learned, where you've been, okay? Yeah. And all the things that you've done, whether it's, it's with FIFA, the, the, the reports you've done for FIFA and all those type of things. Yeah. Try and give people the understanding about Qatar. How should we take Qatar seriously as a sport nation i think 100% when when you look at the infrastructure i think it's it's mighty impressive uh, it's mighty impressive and when you look at the, was it the 2030 kind of outlook sport is a massive integral part and when you look at the uh, what's some investment when it comes to the qatar sport investment kind of group where they're investing in so many stuff the sport yeah i think qatar is a it's a powerhouse. They were the first set of people to put advertising logo on Barcelona's kit, and because Barcelona didn't used to have anything on there, so you have to be a, you have to be a powerhouse to be able to change Barcelona. They used to just have UNICEF on there, and then Qatar Foundation stack up stack their logo on there. So I think Qatar as a sports hub is massive. If you look at what is coming, what kind of things are coming, obviously the World Cup is a big one. But if you look at what's gone, you've had gymnastic world championships, athletics, you've had literally practically everything here and, in and, this small and, little island. And I'm, I, know, I know the answers already, but do, do you think they're doing it for the money? I don't, I don't think so. I think I don't think so. I don't know. When I look at Qatar, I think it's different from, because I remember when I was growing up, all my aunties used to go to Saudi. You had some people go to Dubai. And I think I like Qatar because I think they haven't gone the ostentatiously crazy kind of let's let money drip, let's put gold everywhere. And I think it's beautiful. Like is you've, you've got a peaceful kind of calm place. And I think they're looking at it with a, it has to be kind of, it's not just because of money that you do it. It has to be self-sustainable. So I really, really like the model that they've accepted. And I mean, they, then they set up the Aspire Center. Clearly, they're trying to develop in-house-based kind of sportsmen and women, which none of the kind of other Gulf countries have done. So I think it can't just be purely about money because if it was, you'd be looking at some form of return, but they're basically putting a lot. Like if you look at the World Cup, sh shipping away some of these stadiums to like developing countries for free. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't think I don't think it's about the money. I think it's it's a bit like what I mean. For me, I dedicate myself to coaching because obviously you want to create something. Of course, you want to create something and have association to a successful sportsman, woman, or whatever. Or so I think it's about that kind of thing as well, more so than what we can actually contribute. I think that's for me. That's what I personally believe it is. I, I must admit, from my side of things, I think, as you said, they're going to be a powerhouse without a shadow of a doubt. And yeah. I think, and, and why I did, I did ask you, it was a, it wasn't an easy question. Was it all for money? I don't, I, I think that they, because of the 2030 vision, they just want everybody to have the opportunity. And that's whether you're an expat or whether you're, whether you're a national here. It's like they're yeah. wanting to, to fulfill those promises. And, mm -hmm. and whether it's, whether it's sport, whether it's, um, whether it's education, because, Let's face it, look at the education and the medical treatment here. It just yeah. itself, and you know this because your wife's a, a doctor. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just incredible here. It's kind yeah, of... They, they do have the... They do basically, I mean, to come here, we had to basically do a hasty kind of thing where I think even the kind of doctors that are following my wife in the same kind of sector, they have to now have published 
have published research documents and so they're basically getting the best doctors around here and so it, it can't just all be purely for the money i think it's about it's a bit when you look at somewhere like china it's about actually making people realize that yep this country is it exists and this is what we have to offer these are our resources and this is how much we're willing to contribute to the world at large like what was it it was that actually yeah it was where was it where was it the, it was the blast which country had that blast because they stored the lebanon uh, lebanon like if you look around the world, I was quite disappointed with the UK. I think the UK gave 5 million and then you see Qatar offering 60, 50 million. It's about contributing. Yeah. I was actually, I was actually quite disappointed that the UK only gave five and then they decided to give some of what well, them give expertise advice, but Hey, I think the money is probably more important to get things moving. And so I think it can't just purely be about the money. It's about actually wanting to contribute and put your country in the map. Yeah. And I think that they've definitely done that. Paul, have you enjoyed the show today? Yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been great. It's been great. Thanks for having me back on, young man. But this is, but the great thing about this, Paul, is I, I, I'm really excited because there's a nice little chemistry coming, and it, it's kind of, I'm, I'm, we won't tell too much yet. We'll just come back with the, the big things <laughs> yes. we're going to be getting involved in, because not just from a podcast perspective, but from a business perspective about giving back yep. perspective. Yeah, yeah, yep. You're doing and taking part in all of those, and yep. I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing your your experiences and your knowledge and and the stories about the different athletes and 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 I can see over the next few weeks or the next months you're going to be able, we're going to be able to share some more stories that people are going to get some real quality information. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you very much for yeah, yeah. thank you very much for having me again, Steve. Oh, you're brilliant. Honestly, I, I kind of every time, and I know we do we we've done a lot of talking over these last week or so, well, a couple of weeks yeah. now, and it's like yes. you're just it's just you know when you get somebody that you can talk to and you, you can bounce these ideas off and, and and you both get excited about what you're talking about and, and where you see the plans going forward. It's just it's just brilliant. So I can't wait. It's it, and everybody will see what we're going to be doing very soon. Very, very soon. Very soon. Paul, thank you so much. Right. Look forward to Pleasure. speaking with you again. Thank you so much indeed. Thank, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking part. Thanks for kind of uh, participating. You're everything to us. Every, every comment, every remark, whatever it is, just by liking us, it makes us feel good at the end of the week. So please keep on doing it. Keep on watching. Thanks for listening this week. See you next week. Cheers then. Bye. Bye-bye.